he had somebody drop off me a duffel bag and it had like 30 kilos of cocaine in it. Mm. So, but me being me, I'm an Aries. I'd be liking to prove points to people when I feel like they be thinking I can't handle my own. Right. So when he dropped the, the work off to me, I called a couple of my people. like, yo, I need you to get rid of this, yada, yada, yada. And in like three days, it was gone. First time my son talked about, he did an interview and he finally opened up and he was like, yeah, you know, it was times when I used to go see my mom and when we used to leave, I used to cry all the way home. When I seen how my actions affected my family, when I walked out that courtroom in them shackles, I made it a point to myself that when I went in, I was gonna come out a better person. Yo, what's good? What's poppin'? What it is, what it ain't, what it could be, what it should be, what it would be. Here with another episode of Funky Friday, Cam Newton the Sun, Mr. Boogie the All, and I promise to give you good content for the masses, but most of all, I promise to keep it funky for your asses. Now, this was so good, we had to do it again. And the first one, you ain't gonna see because we had a lot of technical difficulties. But this person, I have grown to love, I have grown to appreciate in many ways the one because our relationship is, is broader than the person that y'all may see or know her, know of her from. We're talking about a former queen pen. We're talking about a former uh, influencer, but now she's turned her story into glory. I present to some and introduce to others, Miss Brandy Davis. What's going <laughs> What's on with you? Nothing much. Now, everywhere, everybody, you know what I'm saying, has this, you know, stereotypical thought about who Brandy is, hmm. right? For the people who don't know, just give us a quick paragraph of why they would know you. People know me because I always say my tragedy ended up making me popular. Um, I was indicted on a federal conspiracy. It was kind of a big case, a drug conspiracy case, and people know me from prison. Mm -hmm. um, one of my girlfriends started an Instagram page Free Pretty Girls, that's still my Instagram name, but the page was Free Pretty Girls because when we was in prison, we used to dress up in our little prison outfits mm. and put our little makeup on and do photo shoots and she used to post them on Instagram. So Free Pretty Girls meant like Free to Pretty Girls because mm -hmm. we was in the feds. So I became popular from being in prison. Everybody used to look at our pictures like, damn, them girls locked up. What's her bond? Yeah, I'll what them that. girls do? What them girls do? Y'all need a pimp out? And yeah. like, I ain't gonna front. like. Dudes really used to send us bread yeah. and come on visits. But why were you indicted? I got indicted on a federal conspiracy charge. I was dating a guy from Chicago. Um, he ended up coming to Detroit, seeing the kind of people that I'm around and the type of people I move around with. And one day he tried to put me on the spot. And he was like, yo, I'm about to have somebody bring you something down there. And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. So when he had somebody bring it, Whatever he said was down there, he had somebody drop off me a duffel bag and it had like 30 kilos of cocaine in it. Mm. So me, I've always been around street people. I grew up in the streets. Right. My daddy was in the streets. So the streets was my life. So that was a, a world that I was comfortable in. Correct. But I never really did no hand in, hand out or really got my hands dirty. I used to just be in that type of environment. Right. But me being me, I'm an Aries and... 
I be liking to prove points to people when I feel like they be thinking I can't handle my own. Right. So when he dropped the the work off to me, I called a couple of my people. It's like, yo, I need you to get rid of this, yada, yada, yada. And in like three days, it was gone. So just for the um, uneducated, unstreet people in regards to 30 kilos, like when I hear 30 kilos, I think of like narcos. I think of like... Uh, Queen of the South, um, like, does it always come and and tape and it's all like blocks or? Yeah. So that's that's real. Yeah, that's how I look. But just throughout the whole description of a transaction, you know, you being around it and and granted, like, uh, let me let me put some perspective into this interview. Right, I've known Brandy. What is this? Six years? Yeah, about five, six years now. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to talk about the person that you are now, but in order to get to that, we have to bring people up to speed. Just with your whole affiliation with um, you know, narcotics, BMF, um, real relationships. And as I've grown to know you, like, oh, you your name carries weight. Like people know you. You know what I'm saying? As a genuine person. And every per- every person knows the same Brandy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So when they see, I've seen interviews where it's like BMF queen and all this and that. Like, where the hell we get that from? I don't know. I think, like, people affiliate me with BMF because my son father was part of BMF. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was around him before it was even a BMF. You know what I'm saying? It was like, we are from Detroit. Right. You know, I grew up with some of the younger guys that was in BMF. So when we got older, we came to Atlanta and we start, you know, hanging out with the older ones because right, right. we were younger. And that's when I met my son's father. I met him in Atlanta around 2002, 2001. Right. I was like 19. He was about 31 mm-hmm. at the time. And, you know, it wasn't even like that was my normal because Detroit is like a hustling town. Like. Right. Anybody that's from Detroit or been in Detroit, they know Detroit is a getting money city. Mm-hmm. You know, my daddy was in the streets. You know, everybody I know was in the streets. So people was looking at that like it was so big and so grand, but it really was like normal. That's a normal day. It's just a normal. It was right. just normal. So even then, like, I remember when we first met, it was just random. Like, uh, one of my good friends, Deshaun, shout out to D-Law, mm-hmm. he was like, yo, bro, like, Oh boy, right there, bro. His mom is woo do woo woo. I'm like, she don't know me. She's like, what the hell? And he's like, nah, bro. She just came back from serving time. I'm like, we talking about jail time or we talking about real time? He's like, no, bro. This is so, right? So I'm saying, okay, cool. It didn't dawn on me, right? Because. In Atlanta, it's full of the scammers, yep. finessers, and juggers. You don't yep. know who anybody really mm-hmm. is. It didn't take me. I was in Boston, right? And the time that I was in Boston, it was nothing was going on because that was COVID. Mm-hmm. Everything shut down. So I remember coming home from the facilities and really just finding stuff to watch. And I'm big on documentaries. I love, you know, the Griselle, the Blancas, the Pablo Escobars, the El Chapo stories, the, the um, um, any American gangster kind of story. Mm-hmm. And this particular one, I had a show on BET, uh, Sip and Smoke. 
And so I had something when I was watching something on BET, and then I seen like uh, it was like an ad or something came by. And I was looking, I said, hold on, hold on, hey, whoa, 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 hey, rewind that, rewind that. I said, damn, she looked familiar. And it was like Brandy Davis, it was like Queen Pins or something. Like it was that. Trap Queens. You trap know. Queens. Yeah, you seen it on Trap And I Queens. seen the whole story from start to finish, and I was like, oh my God, I have to reach out to this girl because I ain't, I ain't know. Like they say, you know what I'm saying? It's not, I didn't know. It's like, I ain't even know. You feel me? So when I seen that, I seen how important, you know, family was for you. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't necessarily, I never got to meet your, your moms. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace to her. But a beautiful soul, like from the pictures that you that you post, DeBron post, everybody else post, I just kind of, and from the stories that you kind of tell. But tell me about the, the, you know, your family dynamic growing up, how you and your dad, you know, your dad being that guy, mm -hmm. really, you know, truly a person that's pushing, you know, weight in, in, in a way. So talk to me about it. See, growing up for me, like, we lived in suburbs, big house, like from an outsider looking in, we grew up like a regular suburban family. You know what I'm saying? And my whole life growing up as a child, I just thought we would just living a, a good life. And I thought my dad did real estate mm -hmm. because one thing about my father, whatever he did in the streets, he didn't bring it home. Mm -hmm. Like my dad wasn't like no typical like a people would think of a drug dealer. He wasn't no dude on the block or no corners. He didn't come home late. Like... When we came home from school, my daddy was damn near home six or seven o'clock mm. at night. You know, so as I got older and I start hanging out and stuff like that, I start seeing how people treated me when we went out. Like, oh, those Chuck daughters mm. or woo, 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 woo. So I'm like, mm, okay. So I'm like, you know, I'm just peeping the scene. You know what I'm saying? And then we have friends like that'll come over that was like our guy friends, you know, growing up and they be like, yeah, you know what your daddy do, right? Mm. And I'm like, what what my daddy do? And they like, man, your daddy sell drugs. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Not my daddy, but it's like, as I got older, you would think that somebody would kind of like, and I know it's it people be, a lot of people talk about me. You know what I'm saying? Because they be like, oh, she glorifies the life or whatever. And it's not no life that I glorify, but it was the life that I was born in and the life that I was raised right. in. So once I seen how people had so much admiration and respect for my daddy, I started embracing that. Right. Like, so when was your first recollection of you? It's not, it's not, it's no more a thought. Mm -hmm. Like you now know at what age that your dad is who your dad is. When I was 11 years old. Okay, talk to me. When I was 11 years old, my mom was getting us ready for school one morning. And this is crazy. This is how you know, like, how my brain worked as a child. Because, you know, you hear things or whatever, but, you know, as a kid, you hear stuff, but you really not comprehending or processing what right, it is. Right. You get what I'm saying? So my mom in the kitchen, she making us breakfast. She getting me and my sister ready for school. My oldest sister, Choo Choo. So next thing you know, I hear a boom, boom, like real loud. It's like... Six, it's still dark outside. It's like six in the morning. Boom, 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 boom at the door. In my mind, I'm thinking somebody trying to come in and bring harm to us. Mm -hmm. Like somebody trying to come in and do something to my family. So I'm like, oh shit. The first thing my mama did when she heard them knocking at the door, she must have knew what time it was. She ran up the stairs. She ran up the stairs, I guess, to go wake up my daddy or do whatever, whatever it was that mm -hmm. she was doing up there. 
And when they came in, the police, the DEA came in with the guns drawn, like, get on the ground. All these big guns. They put me and my sister in the corner in the kitchen. My mama had went upstairs, so when she was trying to come back, they caught her coming down the stairs, threw her down, threw her in the kitchen. It was like a real traumatic experience right. at that age. And then when they finally, I heard tussling and stuff upstairs. You can hear it like upstairs. Right. I heard tussling and stuff. And then next thing you know, I see him bringing my daddy down in handcuffs. You know, and in my mind, I'm like, damn, like, why they taking my daddy? Like, he don't do nothing wrong. You know, right, right. I was more so had a mere concern for my father. I really ain't care about nothing else. But um, after that situation, you know, come to find out he was indicted on some drug charges. And later on down the line, he had, did some time in federal prison. Right. So as a child in middle school, part of our life was going back and forth to see my daddy in prison. Mm -hmm. He was in prison in Pennsylvania. So on the weekends, my mom would drive eight hours with us and we'd stay for the weekend and we'd come back. And that kind of was the story of our life for a few years until mm -hmm. he came home. How long, how long was he indicted for? I think my daddy... You said how long was he in prison for? No, just during that time, like when you were like a preteen. Like 11 to 12, I think. Yeah, my dad, he only stayed, he, they let him get a bond. He might have stayed out not even a year, and then he had to, he did self-surrender. They let him turn himself in. And he was gone for maybe like three years, four years, or mm -hmm. something like that. But it's like, now that I think about it, it's like, damn. So I was going back and forth to prison as a child, too. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? But... I didn't look at it as a, a bad thing because a lot of my friends who I grew up with, they daddies was drug dealers too. And either they parents got, they daddy might've got killed or something or they daddy was in prison. So for me, that was my norm amongst the people in my circle of friends because growing up, we hanging out with my mom and dad friends, kids, and all of them did the same thing. Right, right, right. And then it was never no disruption in our life. We still stayed in the same house. We still have money. We still did the traveling. Like, yeah. even though my daddy was gone, our life continued to be the same. It ain't like my daddy went to jail and we fell off and we had to go live in the hood or something Correct. like that. Our life was the same as if he was still there. Man, one thing that I admire about you telling me, and I think it's important, but it's really a double standards with just where we are as a society, right? Versus, you know, what it used to be like. Mm -hmm. You, your parents, how old was your dad when he, he first met your mom? And I get people talking about this too, and it's crazy mm -hmm. because like when I, when I speak about the age gap, people are like, your daddy was a child molester, but mm -hmm. it wasn't like that. Like when my dad met my mom, she was 16 and he was 31. Mm -hmm. And when she had my sister, which is the oldest, my mom was 18 and my daddy was 33. But I'll say this though, so <laughs> let's put this in perspective, right? You can't you can't judgment or have any type of judgment with this because that's what it used to be. Mm -hmm. Like when my when my grandfather married my grandmother, she was I think twenty years old and he was close to like thirty six. Exactly. Uh, when you think about public figures, uh, Elvis, Priscilla, like he was twenty four, she was fourteen. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like that was just a thing. Back then. You know what I'm saying? That 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 they did. You know what I mean? But you do it now and it's looked down upon. Mm -hmm. You feel me? And I'm not, me having daughters, obviously, if somebody came to my door talking about, hey, I want to take your Hell kid. Hell no, I'm you like, be no, looking no, like, no, 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 we ain't no, doing no. that. No, we not. Mm -hmm. But just the it's it's a it's a beauty in 
me not knowing him, but hearing you kind of talk to him about like how he raised y'all, like mm -hmm. put y'all on game, showed mm -hmm. y'all different things about how to move, how not to move. You know, it was funny where you was like, um, my my man, my dad bought me my first Rolex. So if 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 my boyfriend at the time wasn't matching that type of energy, I didn't necessarily need him for that. You know what I mean? And it was like that. And he always used to tell us that, like, if it okay no man do what I do for you, don't mess with him. Mm -hmm. You know, and it even got to a point when I got with my son father, and <laughs> I met him when I was 19. So I was down here at college. I moved to Atlanta in 2000. I went to Morris Brown mm -hmm. or whatever before they lost their accreditation. And after that, I went to mortuary school in Decatur. I went to a mortuary school because my daddy was like, I don't care what you do. If I'm going to take care of you, better take your ass to school. So I'm like, I'm about to go to school somewhere. But even with my son father, like when we used to beef, I said, I don't care. I said, because my daddy going to pay it anyway. If you don't, my daddy going to pay it. So he used to be like, what the f Like he used to be yeah, mad because yeah, I was yeah. like, I don't care. Like you don't have to do it because I can call my dad. Yeah. So it's like my daddy always had our back. And it's like, I know if I ain't had nobody in the world, I always can rely and depend on him. Right. And that was kind of a gift and a curse. Mm -hmm. Because let's just be real. Like, my daddy set a standard all the way up here. But that's how a man supposed. Now, it's good. It's a little toxic. Yeah. That standard was toxic. It and, was toxic. And you being, you being a, a woman now and understanding, like, okay, but for me and my my children, and when I look at my female um, um, family mm. members, it's like, bro, if your dad provides what he provides to you, the person that you bring into your life that you take serious has to meet that or exceed that. That standard. Like, really? But why I say it's a gift and a curse is because, all right, I'm grown now, right? So what type of man I'm looking for? My daddy had me a whole kit, Rolex, big diamond stud earrings, necklace, bracelet, like bags. Like if you would have seen me as a teenager, you would have thought I was a dope dude's girl. Mm -hmm. But my daddy did that. I had a Denali when the new Denali's came out, big boy trucks. Like he kept us like that. So like I say, the reason why I was a curse is because even when regular guys try to talk to me, I'm looking like, uh, no. Yeah. Like, what? I'm riding this. You over there like, no, nah, if I'm riding this, I'm going to ride with you if I'm right, driving better right. than you. So the type of men that I was attracted to was dudes that emulated my father. Right. So what kind of dudes were I attracted to? Dope boys. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like my dad, and one thing I got to say about my daddy, my daddy did all of that. So I wouldn't go down that road. But me being Brandy, right. he always used to tell me, you were supposed to be the son I ain't never have. Like he tell his friends, like, this my daughter, but this my son. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. this was supposed to be the boy, but this my daughter. Because out of me and my sisters, I was always the one that wasn't fear or scared of nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, like he bought us cars. And in Detroit, it's a street called Eight Mile. Eight mile go across. So this side would be the suburbs. The other side is you in Detroit. Right. So when he used to, he bought us all cars, he's like, I don't care what y'all do. Y'all better not cross eight mile. I'm like, all right, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I'm on seven mile in the hood. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I just love, I don't know. And, and everybody be like, why would you do all that? When you was giving everything, you had a silver spoon in your mouth. But that lifestyle was just attractive to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's I, all you knew. That's all I knew. And Going to the hood, like if I, I go to my cousin's house in the hood, I was like, who would be like, why do you want to leave this big house? You got a pool in the backyard. 
And I'll go over my cousin's house in the hood and want to go sit on a block. Yeah. I got enjoyment out of that. I don't know why. Maybe because it was something different from what I was raised in. But I always was attracted to the streets. Yeah. You know? I could dig it, man. Let's get into... Um, because we got so much meat on the bone, so to speak. <laughs> uh, obviously, we got some type of chemistry, right? Mm -hmm. And we know you like family. So I would like to say our mental is on each other's Wi-Fi. So with this particular game, it's called Who's On Your Mind? I will read some common first names mm -hmm. from this list. Then on the count of three, we both have to blurt out the last name that comes to our mind. If we say the same name, we win, and that's a point for us. Okay. So if I say, like, Justin. Fields. All right? So yeah. we say one, two, three. You say Fields, I say Bieber. That's not a point. Right. You see what I'm saying? So we got to say the same, same name on the count of three. All right. All right? We got seven names. We got to get four of them for us to win. You All ready? Right. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> the first name is Sean. All right, we got to say it at the same time. So I'm going to give the name, and then on count three, one, two, three, we got to say it. All right, I'm ready. All right, here we go. The name is Jennifer. Hold on. You ready? One, two, three, Lopez. She black. Jennifer Hudson. The hell she won an Oscar. Okay. All right. Here we go. Yeah, you like Jennifer Lopez because she pretty. The same way you like it too. <laughs> Shoot. Everybody like it. I mean, here we go. Next one is Tony, right? One, two, three, Montana. Braxton. <laughs> I'm old school. We got an age difference. All right. All right well, we messed up. We got O for two. two. Now, the next name is Gabrielle. One, two, three, union. union. <laughs> That's one. All right. Uh, next one is Kirk. One, two, three, cousins. I was about to say Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> Your daddy a pastor. So why wouldn't you say Kirk Franklin? I don't, look, don't judge me. Pops a pastor. Swear. Here we go. The next one is Jermaine. One, two, three, Dupree. Dupree. There we go. The next one is DeBron. One, two, three, Gatlin. Gatlin. All right, cool. Uh, I need two more names. No, y'all lost. Damn, why we can't get a chance to win? Why we can't get a chance to win? Swear. Hold on. Y'all can't give us two more All right, hold on, hold on. I got one, I got one, I got one. Here we go. Uh, the name is Bobby. One, two, three, Brown. <laughs> she talking about Smurdy. Smurdy dead. Like, girl, get your ass. He went to the, he held his homies down. He went to jail, came home. Michael. All right, here we go. Michael. One, two, three, Jordan. Jordan. You, I was about to say Jackson. I was going to say Tyson. Face <laughs> Michael Tyson. <laughs> All right, man, we lost, but. It no, we a, made up because we, we got did. that other one. We did. But the thing that I'm most proud of you about is how 
first off, let me let me let me explain to the viewer who this woman is, right? When I when I first knew of her, she was the she was the person, she was at every practice, she was at every tournament, and she was always there, but tucked off to the side. You know what I'm saying? She'd have her little cliques and gangs. Or, well, I shouldn't say gangs in this particular context, but she had a group of people, you know what I'm saying, around her, the moms, you know what I'm saying, the dads or whatever. And I would know, and, and how I use Brandy, she kind of like my plug, right? So I would always say, yo, Brandy, like, what's going on? Like, you know what I'm saying? Give me the tea, I need the tea. I would call her like every two months or whatever, especially when I was in the season. She was like, oh, well, you know, your boy doing this, he done bumped his head, you need to talk to your boy. Oh, let me tell you about this person, that person, whoop-de-whoop. And for her, I was just like, damn, like this girl got so much going on, but she always finds time for DeBron. DeBron Gatlin, for, for you guys who don't know, that's her son, a Texas A&M commit, mm -hmm. right? And I seen him, I seen him grow right before my eyes. You did. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not the person to take credit because it takes him to really put the work in. He had a game this year where I was like, I felt like a proud father, like just seeing like, bro, you, that was a game that you took over. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? A, a, a pick six, couple tugs, a uh, hundred plus yards receiving, like, damn, like that's, that's what I believe in. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So for you going through every single thing um, that you went through, really making it a priority to really make up the time in essence and i'll let you speak on it make up the time really with being around your son yeah i made a promise to myself even when i was in prison you mm -hmm. know i i gotta give my mom even though she's not here but i always give so much credit to my mom like mm -hmm. she was a grandma and she had my son but she let me cope parent with her from prison. Mm -hmm. So like if DeBron got in trouble and I call him, she'd be like, oh, this your mama. Now DeBron did da 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 da. So what's his punishment? What you want me to do? So it's like, she always included me. Right. She ain't never leave me out, you know? And I got so much admiration and respect for my mama for that because mm -hmm. people used to trip about when I first came home, like, damn, how you and your son so tight and you was gone for that significant of time how, out of long, his life. How long were you gone? Um, when I went to prison, he had just turned three. And when I came home, we was about to be celebrating his 11th birthday. So mm -hmm. I was gone for seven and a half, almost eight years. But if you see in life, you seen, cause you kind of met me when I was kind of first getting home, you would never think that I was gone for that a significant amount of time. But my mom always made sure we had that connection. Right. You know what I'm saying? When I was incarcerated and she the one who started him in football. Mm. You know, my mom had her own little village. And to this day, I still roll with the people yeah. like that helped my mama, even right. in Detroit. Shoot, we see you know it on, on, on the gram. Like, if you follow her, Free Pretty Girls, this girl, it's like a celebration every time she posts on her story. She's always including cousins, sisters, homeboys. And it's just like a unity where, you know, recently they, they just celebrated the, the, uh, the passing of your mom, mm -hmm. right? And going back, I was, we had practiced the day that, I think it was the day after she passed. Or it something. was like two days, because we had practice on Sunday. She, I think she passed right. on Friday. And Deshaun, you know, he was telling me, he was like, yo, bro, you gotta, you gotta bring DeBron like 
on slow, you know, he, his mental kind of messed up. And I'm a person that always been able to compartmentalize, but it's like he was there, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And anybody knows DeBron, he's really good at football. And like he dropping passes, he not he getting clamped on defense. I'm like, yo, 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 hold on, stop, bro. What in the hell mm-hmm. do you have going on right now? And you know, Deshaun told me, he was like, yo, bro, like easy, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. His 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 grandma. And it didn't take me until I seen that piece that they did with y'all to understand, like, oh, I see now. Yeah, he lost his mama too. Yeah, yeah. But because this is the person that raised him, this was the person that loved on him. And the pictures and the videos that I see of your mom, she was just like this free spirit, mm-hmm. you know, however you are, I'm going to love on you either way, but I'm going to check your. Yep. You know what I mean? <laughs> but she just had that type of loving and affection that any child would love to want to be around. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So uh, shout out to her for that. But I heard you uh, say this, right? Serving time as a woman is harder than serving time as a man. I got backlash from that too. But explain yourself though. It's like, I just be, I keep it real. Like I'm very transparent Mm -hmm. and a lot of people try to judge me, but all I'm doing is speaking my truth of what I experienced in my life. And I've experienced both sides of the fence. Before I went to prison, I held my baby daddy down in prison. You know what I'm saying? So I've been to the feds for men. My daddy was in feds when I was younger. So I experienced a woman going to a men's facility. When you go to a men's facility, it's a damn line outside with the mamas and the kids. It's a line Mm -hmm. waiting for you to get in first when you go to a men's facility. When you go to a women's facility, you don't see no men. Mm -hmm. You see the grandparents or the sisters or the aunties, but you really rarely see a man hold his woman down. And it's disheartening, you know, because that's why I always big up women and I'm real big in women empowerment because as women, we deal with a lot. We wear a lot of hats and we carry a lot on our shoulders. And when men do time, they can go do 10 years like it ain't nothing. Cause guess what? You can call home, you know, your wife at home, the kids with their mama, the house good, they good. You're going to get your visits once or twice a month or whatever you get. Mm-hmm. And it's cool. You can be at peace knowing your family is okay. But for women, I was blessed to have a, a very good, strong support system. So I didn't encounter or endure a lot of things that other women did. But I had girls that I was friends with right. who kids got taken by the state. They don't know where their kids are. Husbands left them in prison. They left them for another girl. You know what I'm saying? So... We don't get that. Like, if you go in the men's room, you see them all booed up with their girl, yeah. rubbing on their girl, trying to sneak a little feels in. Yeah, yeah, they getting yeah. their kisses, you know, all that. We don't get that affection. We mm. don't get that affection. I think that whole perspective just really, like, whether it's true or not, like you said, you're voicing your experience, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, and projecting it to the world. Like, I didn't necessarily know that. I ain't necessarily even think about that, you mm-hmm. know. And for me, like... Obviously, what brought us together is the game of football, right? And I can't speak on, like I have a 707 uh, program. It is the best organization in the world, in the nation. You feel me? And it's not just because I got the most money. 
No, I, I literally tell these kids, I'm like, bro, the game of football changed my life. When I started taking this just as serious as me breathing, no, I became untouchable. I became militant. I became devoted. I became disciplined to, no, I can't eat that, bro. I can't go out, bro. I can't look at that, bro. I can't, I got to be up, da, 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 da. And I didn't gain that mentality until I got to junior college, you know? So for me, it's pouring into these kids. It's like, bro, no matter what your family dynamic is, if you commit to this game, I promise you, it can bring you fruits that you didn't even imagine. God has been so good to me. And when I see DeBron, it's like, you're a perfect example of that. And I done had them all, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So from, from where you are right now, I think, you know, when we talk, it's always chatter in the background. Mm -hmm. You know, you like the team mom, the unincorporated team mom, for kids that they want to go over to Brown house, Miss Brandy, like, let's come over y'all. What, what is that like now? I get fulfillment and enjoyment out of that mm -hmm. because it's like, I always say that everybody be like, oh, you said you hold your son down. Like, you so strong. But no, like, I look at my son like that's my hero. Mm -hmm. I admire his strength. I, am, I have admiration for him because... Going through everything that he's been through in the life, I can kind of just rewind a little bit and he, he just give you an overview of the things that he's been through. Mm -hmm. Nine months. Well, when I was four months pregnant with him, the feds raided my house. They took his father away when I was four months pregnant and he ended up getting sentenced to 20 years in prison. Mm -hmm. uh, a year after he was in prison, he was at this facility here in Atlanta on the boulevard the medium that they have on the boulevard. He was probably there for two months and um, he ended up having an asthma attack. And I don't know, you know, they try to cover it up however they do, but he ended up passing away in prison mm. from complications due to his asthma. So at nine months, my- So DeBron never seen his father? He seen him through a glass when he was in the county. When I first had him, I used to go to the county and we went to see him in July and he finally was able to hold him so he got a picture with his dad, that one picture right. when my son was nine, no, DeBron was seven months. He got a picture with his dad from when we went to go see him. And two months after that, he died. Mm. So he lost his father at nine months, right? So then after that, that was 06. 2008, I catch a case. You know, in 2009, I had to turn myself in to do 10 years in prison. While I'm serving my prison sentence, my father got, my indictment got superseded and my father got indicted and was my co-defendant on a conspiracy charge. So the only father that he ever known, because he used to call my dad, daddy, mm -hmm. the only father he ever known got taken away from him too. Mm. So he lost his daddy. He died at nine months. He lost his mama two years after that to do 10 years in prison. And a year after I got indicted, my daddy got sentenced to eight years in federal prison. Um, my mom, like... That's why I say I just got to commend my family, man, because it's like my mom was going back and forth from seeing my daddy in prison, seeing, seeing me in prison, yeah. to the point I told my mama, like, yo, don't come see me, man. Go see daddy. Mm -hmm. You know, I had my sisters bring my son, and she still a come, Correct. but I it was no pressure because my father was older. Mm -hmm. My daddy went to prison when he was 65 years old. 
You know what I'm saying? So I was more so worried about my father more than me. I'm young. I caught my case at 26. So I'm like, it's cool, whatever. But my daddy was 65. And I didn't know that when my dad got sentenced, you know, my family kept a lot of stuff from me. I didn't know my dad was diagnosed with the first stage of dementia. Mm -hmm. So not only did he go to prison at 65, he went to prison and he was sick with a, a debilitating disease that right, messed with his mind, mm -hmm. you know? So the great thing, the outcome about that was like three or four years into my father's sentence, Obama changed the compassionate release. And compassionate release in federal prison is when you have a debilitating disease that progressively gets worse and doesn't get better. They act like it's good for the family, but really, if you sick, they don't want to deal with you. They don't want to pay your medical expenses, so they send you home basically to die. Mm -hmm. You know, so my dad ended up getting a compassionate release in 2015. And my prison was always a prison who they get they started first thing. Like we had MP3 players first. They right. have like, we was like the pilot program for right. things that they try to integrate into the prison system. And we had just got Skype, like it's like a Skype or Zoom. Mm -hmm. And you can pay for video visits, but you only could do maybe like three a week. But I already had one scheduled for my son because I wanted to see my son on video visit, but my dad just ended up coming home. So the first time I seen my dad, like I said, my family didn't tell me a lot, I think, to protect me because they didn't want to worry me while I was away. Mm -hmm. But the first time I seen my dad, now you know how me and my dad was like yeah. this. Like, that was my road dog. But but to, to that, we're going to stay here for a second. Your dad, when you started, and, it's, and, and, and some would say, no, that's not right. And some would say, okay, I see him trying to protect you. When you really started moving weight, right? Mm -hmm. When you really started moving narcotics or selling drugs or whatever, your father was like... He didn't know at first. Mm -hmm. I was doing it behind his back. But when he found out, he's like, what the f you doing? Like, sit your down. And he put himself on Front Street, like on the forefront to keep me out the way. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that we both end up getting in trouble. You know right. what I'm saying? We, how things played out and how the situation played out, we both end up end up being co-defendants. Mm -hmm. You know, and me and my dad, we got sentenced on the same day in court. I went first, and he went right after me. And the judge told my mama, "So, black lady judge, she was like, this is a really, really big catastrophe for your family. I really feel bad for you. Like, I couldn't imagine, like, you losing your husband and your daughter for a significant amount of time. Mm -hmm. Like the judge told my mom that, and that was just a very, very sad day, you know? And when I was leaving out the courtroom, just the pain and hurt I seen on my mom's face will always stick in my mind. You know what I'm saying? And that right there, when I seen how my actions affected my family, and when I on sentencing day, when I walked out that courtroom in them shackles, I made it a point to myself that when I went in, I was gonna come out a better person. Yeah. That I wanted to change so, my life. Take me back to the Skype, like when you was So like on the Skype, you know, he come home and I'm like, oh my daddy home. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. damn, I can't wait to see my daddy because I kind of knew something was wrong. Because when he used to see me, like in federal prison, if, if you have a media family, y'all can email. Mm -hmm. And I used to, when they approved our email, I'm emailing Daddy, what? No response. Like cricket. So I'm like, damn. I know he don't know how to use a computer, but I know somebody can type for him. Right, right, right. And then, like, I get mail and I open up the card, like, this ain't my daddy handwriting. Mm -hmm. Like, somebody else is writing it for him. Correct. So I'm like, but they still not telling me nothing. But I'm just keeping that in the back of my mind, like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, I got a card from my daddy. So I was just happy, you know? 
And when I seen him on Skype for the first time, you know, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm about to see. Like, I'm just so geeked up, like, so happy he home. Like, I didn't care about me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted my daddy to come home. You know what I'm saying? And when I seen him on Skype, I'm like, daddy, what's up? Like, and he was like, hey. He was like, you pretty, what's your name? <laughs> and I'm like, my name? You mean like, what's my name? Like, he didn't know who I was. Mm. But it was like, that right there, that it just, it just it broke me. You. Like, damn, like, he don't know who I am. Like, me, you don't know who I am. Mm. And that's when we start getting into, you know, they was upfront and honest with me then, letting me know, like, what was going on with my dad and stuff. And it's like, it's funny because it's like, I'm just going to, like, my dad, like, when you had dementia, it's like you transgress back so you can remember a lot of stuff from your past, mm-hmm. but not things that's, like, right now. Right. So my dad, now that I know, now that I'm older, I guess he had, like, some pimp days or something when he was when he was back in the day. He used to do, like, in Detroit, I guess he got, like, had some hoes or something. Right, like, he right, did right. pimp stuff back in the day. So one day I'm on Skype with him or whatever, right? And I'm like... What up? We talking. So now I'm used to it. Like, mm-hmm. so I just joke with him, play with him. So yo, out the blue, my daddy was like, my mom and him always be sitting on the couch together on Skype. So he like, hey. I'm like, what? He said, girl, you pretty. I was like, oh yeah. He's like, yeah. He said, girl, I'll put you on that track. I was like, what? You put me on the track? So I'm like, what are you talking about? So then he gonna look at my mom and he was like, oh, that's my wife. Like, shh. I was like, oh my God. So we kind of had like, funny moments with it, right, but he was right. trying to put me on the track. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? But it was like, it was bittersweet. Yeah. Like, I I hated that I couldn't be there, but at the same time, I'm glad that he was able to be at home with his family when he was going through what he was going through. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it was so crazy is, I watched my daddy die on Skype. Mm-hmm. Like, I watched my daddy take his last breath. It just so happened, like, when he got home, I make my visits more frequently. You know what I'm saying? In this particular day, like I always would call home before my visit, like, mama, make sure you on the computer at 6.30, log on, because we only had 25 minutes. So when I called her this particular day, she's like, I just want to let you know daddy not doing good. You know, because he did hospice at home. Like mm-hmm. the people came to the house and she was like, daddy not doing good. I'm just letting you know the nurses said his organs is failing and you know, I just don't know. Like, she was just telling me, I guess, trying to prepare me for when I went on the visit. So I'm like, all right. So my homegirl, my 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 girl Joy, she from Baltimore. That's like my sister still to this day. I had went outside and I'm like, damn, like I was upset. Like my mama said or whatever. And she walked me down to the visit because it's like a little computer little area. And you go in the back and you can get on the Skype. And you're not supposed to go in the room unless you got a visit on Skype. So my girl seen how upset I was, and she was like, man, bump that. I'm going in there with you. Like, shit, I stand off to the side, but I'm going with if I get in trouble or not. And when I got on the Skype, everybody looking all down, like, and everybody was at my mama's house, and they live here, but, like, everybody, like, my all the grandkids, my sisters, even, like, my sister baby daddy, because we grew up, her first son, like, that's, like, my brother, like, he was there. I'm like, what? Like, everybody was at my mama's house, and I'm like, and everybody was just looking real down. So I'm like, where my daddy at? Like, let me see my dad or whatever. Mind you, I just talked to him two days prior on Skype. Like, he had stopped talking and everything like that, but he was still, like, sitting up in the hospital bed. And, you know, I talked to him. So this day, I'm like, let me see my dad. And, you know, they walked the laptop and turned the thing. And, like, my dad was like, he looked totally different. I just seen him two days ago, like... 
He was laying in the bed, like his eyes was like halfway open. Like he just looked very like emaciated. Like he just looked really bad. And I never felt, except for when my mama died, I never felt like that in my life. Like seeing my daddy like that, it's like I had an out of body experience. Like I can hear myself crying, but it's like, I don't know. It was just yeah, crazy, you know? Like and it's just so many emotions came over me. And it's like, I always felt that I was the reason why my daddy went to jail. Mm. Even when I was in jail and he was out on bond and used to come see me in the county. And I used to be like, daddy, I'm sorry. Like, he said, like, man, you don't got to apologize. Like, we good. Like, we in this together. Don't, don't ever carry that burden. Like, he used to tell me, like, we in this together. Don't do that. Like, we good. Like, I'm fine. And, but in my heart, I always felt guilt. So... When, when they turned the computer, I was just telling him, like, how I felt, like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I was just saying, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't mean this. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I was just telling him everything that I wanted to tell him. And tears started coming down his eyes. Mm. And he, after that, he took his last breath. Mm. So going through that, that's heavy. And for anybody. But how do you feel... Like, you being the person that you are, mm -hmm. right, and obviously your son is who he is, right, do you feel, or how do you feel like DeBron has coped with just you, not just only being away, but you coming back and having this big presence? Like, what's his coping mechanism look like? DeBron is, you know my son. Mm -hmm. DeBron is funny style. Like, right. he's not a person that talks a lot. Um... He's not really a person that likes to articulate his feelings. And even when I first came home, we went to counseling, you know, because I just wanted to know how my son felt and how my absence affected his life. And right. he really wasn't fooling with the counselor like that. Like, I don't want to talk about it. He was like, like basically, like, my mama home now. Like, I don't want to talk about the bad because mm -hmm. she here and I want to focus on the good, you know. But what really think I broke my, what broke my son is when my mom passed. Mm -hmm. You know, and like I said, my son, I, I admire him so much because if you think about all the things he went to, statistically in society, my son's supposed to be one of them boys in the hood toting guns, right. smoking weed, just a whole rebel, statistically. Right. You know, but I don't know because we really never talked about it and he really don't talk about it. The first time my son talked about, he did an interview like with B2C, this this thing that do you football in Atlanta, right. this when he was younger. And he asked the guy, I was like, yeah, I see you in your mom's relationship. And he finally opened up and he was like, yeah, you know, you know, when my mom left, I felt like I had to be the man. It was just me and my grandma. Like, I had to step up and be the man and be there for my grandma. He was like, and it was times when I used to go see my mom and when we used to leave, I used to cry all the way home. I never knew that. Mm -hmm. I ain't never knew when my son left off them visits when he got in that car. He cried for me on the way home. I didn't know that at nighttime, my mama said he used to cry for me when he went to bed to sleep, you know? And when I think about all that, it hurts me, you know what I'm saying? Because I thought what I was doing was providing a better life for him, like my dad was providing for us. So I never had and the intention best way, the best way that I knew, knew how, how. Right. you know? So I never meant or intentionally meant to hurt my son or be absent from his life. So now... He still don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he been through so much, and especially with my mom dying, 
It's like he uses football as his outlet. Right. Like that's where he he leave it on the field. Mm -hmm. Like whatever emotions or whatever he have, and you can you can tell by how he played a game of football. Right. You know, I think he left it on the field, but I still be wanting to talk to him about it. But it's like I don't know how to approach him with it because right. he's very closed off about it, and I feel like you shouldn't force nobody to talk right. about something, especially when you've been through so much. But my question to you is: Have you healed? Like, your life hasn't been prototypical. Mm -hmm. And it is a testimonial for anybody who sees this, you know, girl, get that money, girl, get that bag, or homeboy, do this, or, you know, I, I'm getting all these bricks and da 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 Like, have you healed from the, the, the trauma that you went through? I think I'm healing. I don't think I'm totally healed, mm -hmm. you know, because like I said, I don't know if it's just a mental thing or something that I hold on to so I never forget, but I always carry that burden around like I'm the reason I, I destroyed my family. Not saying destroy, but I brought a lot of hardship, hurt, and pain to my family from bringing somebody into our circle right. that destroyed us. So I carry that burden on my shoulders, and I'm just now starting to kind of like, let it go mm. because I can't, I can't hold on to that because I'm not going to heal within myself. Right. You know what I'm saying? But it's like I try to hold on to the hurt and the pain so I never forget. And I don't know if it's because I do that so I never make the decisions that I did that got me there in the first place right. or I feel like I deserve it, like I'm hurting myself. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I it, it's just weird. You know what I'm saying? But I would say this too, like, There's two different things, right? It can use you or you can use it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like what you've done, especially with your, your give back initiatives, uh, mentoring young women mm -hmm. who may be going down a wrong track or going down what they think is right. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Tell me about it. Okay, so I, I started doing a mentorship program, you know, with, at Pope School, at right, Coach right. Poku. He called me like, hey, sis, you need to come down here. These kids, they need you. These girls, they out of control. I'm going to handpick some girls that you need to talk to. You know how Pope right, is or right, whatever. Right. So I'm like, cool. So I met with the principal. And the first, this new generation is kind of tough. You know how they looking at you like, okay. What, so what's up? Right. Like, I come in there. They like, okay. So when I come in there, I bring like pizza. You know, I try to, with black people... I don't know what it is, but food is like a barrier breaker. Like Correct. food brings people together. Mm -hmm. It's Breaking like, bread. right, it, it brings people together. So I brought some food and I'm like, all right. So I'm like, damn, how can I talk to them without them? Because it's like with these kids, they all like social media, techie kids. It's mm -hmm. like they be in their phone. So I'm like, how am I going to be able to get to them? You know what I'm saying? For them to embrace me. So what I did was, you know, I came in there and they looking like, like, who the hell is yeah, this? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like, hey, you know, and they like, mm, like, yeah, yeah like, whatever. So I'm like, home. all right, y'all. I was like, all right. I was like, I know how y'all are, and I know y'all, why y'all thinking I'm here. I said, mm -hmm. but I ain't gonna tell y'all nothing. I want y'all to watch something, and then after it's over, we can do open floor questions and answers or whatever, and we can get to know each other. And I showed them my episode of Trap Queens. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? The one that you watch. So after they watched it, they like. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Oh, you really like that. So yeah, yeah. I started going there, and the girls was 
very open with me. It's like they talked to me about a lot of things that they was going through and they listened mm -hmm. and they embraced me. And right now I still talk to a lot of them. They DM me, I'm going through this and da da da, da and, I, and I still do it out the kindness of my heart like because I have a bond with them girls. I talk to them, right. you know what I'm saying? And, and things like that. But for me, that was something fulfilling to me because that was helping me heal and at mm -hmm. the same time I was helping somebody else. What's the common, I want to say the commonality, but what's the typical issue that most young girls that you're faced with are going through? Daddy, daddy problems. Fathers not being involved in their life. Um, fathers that don't even be involved with them but get with somebody else and be a father to somebody else's kids. Mm. And I had posted something on, I had posted a discussion on my little uh, nonprofit page and I got a kind of different kind of feedback from people. And they were just saying like, they need their daddies. Right. They want their fathers. And I feel like in the black community, like a lot of our men need to step up and be there for their children because that is a, a big factor in the decisions that they make in life. Mm -hmm. And if girls not getting that love from their father, they're going to go try to find it in they another man. Some way. Some way. Mm -hmm. um, now, do you have you partnered with anybody? And what's the plans for, you know, you moving forward as far as giving back or Whatever, what's the next step? I haven't partnered with anybody. Like, I did that thing at the school just to see, you know, how receptive they'd be and how was it, how was it going to go. So what I was thinking of, for me, I want to do something that me and my son can do together. Mm -hmm. And like like I said, he's going to Texas A&M, but I wanted my son, he's very quiet, so I'm trying to get him out that shell. But I try to get him to see the type of person you are like. You are an inspiration to kids mm -hmm. that's just like you. The kids in the hood that... Mama was in prison, daddy got murdered, daddy was in prison, raised by their grandma. Can't force, they can't see past their current circumstances. You know what I'm saying? And I want him to be able to talk to these young kids in these inner cities that were, that go through the same thing that he experienced, but instead of going to the left, down the negative route, he went to the right and took a higher route. But a lot of these kids can't see past their block because they don't have nobody to look up to or nobody that's encouraging them to do better. You know, so my what I want to do now is go in them cities, and I don't know if it could be around football. You know what I'm saying? Because it's a lot of good athletes, but the kids don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? They don't know what schools to go to, or they don't have trainers. Or misinformed about. Or misinformed, like, yeah. And, and, and we can really talk about that, too. You know, before we get out of here, it's like, I've seen you not only mentor young young women, but you also mentor parents, mm -hmm. right? Because when they when their son is in the eighth grade and be like, oh, I got an offer from UGA or I got this, that, and third, like you know, this recruiting, you know, uh monster, mm -hmm. it can eat you up and spit you out. It's like on signing day, I'm thinking I'm signing one place, but you're really not. Did I take my ACT? Did I take my SAT? Did I pass clearinghouse? You know, mm -hmm. am I good to go right there? Because it's a lot of behind the scenes that anybody going through recruitment doesn't necessarily know. Yep. And I've been helping a lot of parents. And I was thinking about that. I did actually start it because it's like I, I kind of doubt myself a little bit because I've known things one way all my life. So it's like now I'm just transforming into something different. This is my second chapter of my mm -hmm. life. And Everybody say like, girl, I can see you being a sports agent one day or something because it's like right now, like 
if I see, like, a, a, this is how it is with recruiting. You know this. Mm-hmm. All those websites, the 24-7s, the on three, all that recruiting stuff, it can kind of either motivate a kid or it can kind of discourage the kid because it's a lot of hidden gems. A lot of those, a lot of them platforms focus on certain kids. Mm-hmm. You know, they boost them up, boost them up, boost them up. But it's a kid just as good as that top two kid. If not better. If not better, but he ain't getting a shine because he might not be as popular. He might not go to a certain school, but he's still just as good. Mm-hmm. And what I do, and I do it now, is I got a good rapport with a lot of coaches at college just from recruiting with my son. I don't know. I'm, I'm a people's person. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's just like I developed a relationship with a lot of coaches, even at the schools that he not attending. Right. And if I see a kid, because they say I have a good eye for talent. If I see a kid that I feel is capable to play at a D1 level where I feel has the talent but is over overshadowed, I'll get his huddle, I get his film, I call the coach, hey, can you check this kid out for me? Mm. He good, boop, boop, boop. Next thing you know, he got an offer. And parents like, what the hell? Like, yo, you don't have to do that. I ain't in competition with nobody. Like, my son's path is his path. His, his future is destined to be what it's going to be. But if I can help uplift the kid and get him an offer and who parents really can't afford college and take that burden off their parents and he able to live out his dream and be able to play college football, I don't want nothing from you. I get fulfillment out of that because I know I'm going to get my blessings back in the long run. Yeah. And I do a lot of that behind the scenes. And nobody knows. Nobody knows. I like, I see this persona that people kind of glorify or I see this persona that people kind of will, will kind of put two and two together. Very attractive uh, female. Um, and it's like, oh, she sold drugs. Oh, damn. Okay, well, that's that. Okay, cool. Now, you know, she's doing this too. But... You know, she got a rapport with the coaches. Like, oh, I don't necessarily know how this how this rocking and shaking. How um, my last thing here is this: as far as having a child, let's say a high school or a teenager, mm-hmm. what's the importance of structure and discipline that you implement in your own way in your household? For me, it's like this: like I had a conversation with DeBron. You want to play football? Yeah. Want to play D1? Yeah. Okay, now that he's committed, you want to Texas A&M? Yeah. So everything you should do should be based on and structured around Texas Mm A&M. So if you're going to be a football player, you're going to be the best football player you can be. We like militant. Really, it's not. It's militant, but it's not because he enjoy it. But my son don't hang out. My son don't do nothing. He go to school. He go train. He play 707 on his offseason. He go visit Texas A&M. And he at the crib. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to tell him, like, five-year plan. You know what I'm saying? Five-year plan. That's all you got to do is stay down and stay focused for five years. Right. And when you at that draft and your name get called and you sign your name on that line, then you free to do whatever the hell you want to do. Right. But and if you're trying to get the, there. Even, even then, still, too, yeah. you got a responsibility. Because I'm like, when I was coming up, I wanted to be just like Pac-Man, mm-hmm. right? Pac-Man went to my school, uh, Westlake High School, and I always tell him, like, I'm not the person that just say, I'm the first to do whatever I do. But he set the, the framework because that's who everybody knew. Mm-hmm. So my thing when I was in high school, I was always trying to be better than Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. As I started going to college and I started getting recognition, and I even got into the league, I started realizing, it's like, bro, I'm the latest in my city. But a lot of people didn't necessarily know I was from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. 
Because mm-hmm. I was, I went to Auburn, which is in Alabama. I went to uh, junior college, which was in Texas. Texas. I initially, out of high school, went to University of Florida. So they was like, bro, where is this dude from? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And now when I look back, it's like, bro, I owe a service to these kids to say, bro, it's many different ways. Use the game of football to benefit you. Don't let the game of football mm-hmm. use you. Meaning, get a free education, yep. learn about something, the exposure. I remember when I, the first time I seen a college campus and I witnessed the stadium. And I was like, bro, these dudes on the field are like gladiators. They like gods. Mm-hmm. And they celebrated in that, in, that, in that type of manner. And coming from where I come from, it was either... Be a rapper, yep. A drug dealer, or an athlete. Or athlete. And nobody. It's not that we didn't have options to be a a, a city official. It wasn't that we had a a, a a bad rapport of being a lawyer or anything else. We didn't see those people where we was from. So, man, I remember when I was in high school. Man, Pat pulled up with a in the Rolls Royce, and he had a dog on mink coat like Frank Lucas. I was like, bro. <laughs> I want that, you know what I'm yeah, saying? And how 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 can I get that? You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. now when I, these kids see, they hear all the rap lyrics and they like, man, this, that, and the third, I got a Lambo, a Ferrari, or this, that, road. Like I'm like, bro, you don't need to sell no drugs and no. do all that, bro. Just commit to the game. And recently, like I had the kids come to the crib because they see me so much, they don't necessarily know like to the magnitude your accomplishment. You see what I'm saying? They don't. And I'm like, all right, bro, like y'all keep treating me like I'm regular. I'm like, bro, <laughs> I really been doing this at a high level. Mm-hmm. You know, and I learned, bro, it's okay to be by yourself. It's okay to be standoffish. It's okay to kind of be your be your own, you know, influence because the more people the bigger the entourage, the more that you got to just start having to prove for no damn reason. For no reason. And that's it. Well, Miss Brandy Shaquanda, Olivia <laughs> Davis. That's not her middle name, but it is what it it's is. It's Nicole. Nicole, right? We're gonna end things here at Funky Friday. Appreciate your time, appreciate your energy, appreciate your insight. And in unison, we're gonna start with this camera right here. Mm-hmm. And then we're gonna go to that camera right there, and then we're gonna finish off with that camera. You ready? What are we gonna say? One finger. One finger. One pinky. One pinky. One thumb. One thumb. One love. One love. Yes, ma'am skis. You were silly. Yeah!